Hey, one more thing before you go. What happens when you move to a completely different country? You're here with challenges and grief and motherhood all at the same time. You lose your mother unexpectedly, followed by two miscarriages, and come to the realization that you have to address the grief and the pain in order to heal. After going on a crucial grief journey, my guest, Katie Rosler, learned the power of grief in our lives and how it can affect us both in a positive and a negative way. When she thought she had a handle on everything, then the pandemic hit. And Katie realized that she needed to use her skills and her experience to help people through a new methodology of understanding and grief. Welcome to One More Thing Before You Go. This is The Thing About The New Face of Grief. Katie Rosler is an author, a transformative grief guide, and a licensed professional counselor from the USA living in Munich, Germany. Her career has taken her on a journey of working in private practice in two countries, in residential facilities, homes, and schools, as well as speaking to a variety of corporate and nonprofit groups. Katie's a wife, a mom of three, and loves spending time by the water. She's the author of a new book entitled The New Face of Grief, Transform Pain into Empowerment. And we're going to talk to her today about how you too can take your grief and transform it into more empowerment for yourself to move forward in a very positive way. So welcome to the show, Katie. Thank you, Michael. Thank you very much. You know, I, uh, I'm kind of looking forward to this. As I had said before, we, we both understand that uh, typical and standard methodologies of going through grief or getting through grief are kind of I won't say antiquated, but I, I will say antiquated in my opinion at certain times. So this is going to be fun. I agree. I agree. Uh, so it's, I, I like kind of like to, as my viewers and my listeners understand, like to know more about you and how you got where you're at. So let's start with where did you grow up? Um, that's a great question. The southeast of the United States. Um, I'm from a military family. So we moved every two to three years. So I don't really have a place that I call home other than that region. I just, and I'm a beach baby because we were always near the beach. Um, but my, my family is, is primarily Mississippi, Alabama, Florida. And um, yeah, so that, that's where everybody ended up after our military family moves. That's really interesting. I've got family in uh, Mississippi and Alabama and Florida. Wonderful. Like, Unique little world, right? We're, we're all one big happy family, as they say. What was your family? I mean, you said military. So what was your family like? Was, you, was your father military or your father and your mother both military? Um, just my father. My father was in the Air Force. Uh, he served for 28 years. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. Um, and then I think later on did some like part-time work. And then when my parents divorced, she went to law school. That was always her dream. And since we moved so much, that prevented her from being able to like really live that dream. And so when they um, ended their marriage, that's where she went. She went to law school, became a lawyer, and uh, did that until the day she died. You know, sometimes the life brings us a new chapter, and that chapter is always a positive thing, and it allows you to kind of grow and move forward. Do you have any brothers, sisters? I do. I have um, a younger brother, 
and uh, he, I like to like gloat on him a little bit. He's a, a marathon runner. Uh, that's not his profession, but uh, he's definitely one that you meet and you go, you're, you're meant to be a runner. So, um, and he has a beautiful wife and a wonderful little son. Outstanding. That's pretty cool. Um, I know you went to university. You attended the Mississippi State University when you first started your academic career, right? Yes. Yeah. I went, I originally went for um, physics pre-med and was like, okay, I'm going to be a doctor. And then after the first semester, I realized that the professors in the physics department were, um, I like to call them not my people. <laughs> I was probably a little too extroverted for them. And, um, and so talkative Katie and very personable decided the psychology route was a better fit. I took a gen psych class and was like, oh my gosh, this is like, makes everything make sense over the last, you know, 18 years of my life, all the moving I did studying people, understanding why they do the, what they do. Uh, it was totally up my alley. And so did my bachelor's in psychology there and then went on for my master's in um, marriage and family counseling at the College of William and Mary in Virginia. Yeah, that, that's a, uh, I will say that it's a very diverse group to study all at once with the psychology, uh, basically, and the, the family practice. The, the, did that kind of, was that something that you, uh, well, you just said it, actually, so I really shouldn't reiterate that. But, you know, you realized that when you were in university already, right? And it, yeah, so I, I knew that I wanted to do psychology, and pretty soon after deciding to change my, um, my focus, I realized I wanted to be a counselor. Um, we had gone to family counseling uh, as a family through the divorce process. And I thought, you know what? I actually really want to do that. I'd always been the listening ear to my friends and the advice giver or the person that helps somebody work things out just naturally. And it just fit. It was really, truly the calling that it's I had. And, um, and it was, you know, my mom, of course, when I called her that day and was like, I'm changing my major. I'm not going to be a doctor. It took her a little bit, but uh, then she realized 100% like this is what you're meant to do. This works. You know, it, it's life always takes us in the journey I think we're supposed to be. And I, I had started my academic career as a uh, going to be a journalist because my father was a journalist. And everybody said, oh, you got to do what your dad did. You got to do what your dad did. And I, I tried it and I kind of worked it a little bit. But while I was there, they had a police academy that was... Uh, that was within the same university that I started with. And I kind of went, criminal justice. I think I'm going to try that. Everybody went, what do you mean you're going to do that? It's like, yeah. And I spent my career as a cop instead of a journalist. And awesome. ironically enough, I'm circling back to that. It's just kind of, kind of bizarre yeah, how it works out. True. Yeah, true. Um, so after changing courses, um, you opened up your own practice as a, as a therapist, correct, in family and and counseling, how'd you get into the grief end of it? The grief came later. Um, so yeah, I, I did, um, I worked in residential. I did in-home counseling. Um, that's the time that I was doing my residency for my license and then opened a private practice. And, um, we decided to move to Germany. I, I met my husband in that time. We'll get into that. My husband is German and we decided to move to Germany. So I, I, let go of the practice, was a stay-at-home mom with our first daughter, pregnant with our second. We moved to Germany. 
And I opened a practice here um, probably about a year after my second was born and did a um, couples counseling here. You know, expat couples really struggle with the transitions and the adapting to the culture. And especially if one of the members of the relationship is from this country or from Austria, it's not, you know, of course, they're not having a challenging time adapting. And so it can be really hard on and stressful in the relationship. Seeing it in my own marriage, it made sense for me to help others and theirs. And since I had that background, um, I was really happy to step in and, and really uh, start to work with people here on that. And then from there, I did that for a few years. And um, at the end of 2018, I got the call that my mom was found um, and she had died in her sleep. And it was unexpected. We were not aware of any health issues that would cause this. And that is where everything started spinning in a, a direction that I had not expected to go. Um, the following year in 2018, I had two miscarriages and then started 2020 with this is going to be the year of like, just take a pause and relax. And then the pandemic hit. <laughs> so we all took a pause and relaxed because especially in Europe, we were on real heavy lockdown and good, you know, some um, good and strong restrictions. So I had to take a pause and I started really heavily getting into my grief work even more than what I had in 2019. And that was the point where I started to realize that grief isn't just about death. You know, we associate that word only with death. And in reality, grief is experience we go through throughout our lives. We experience it when we move, when we have a, a relationship end, a breakup or divorce or separation. We have it when we don't reach a dream that we always wanted to achieve or our child goes a different direction than we had desired for them to go. Uh, we lose a job, lose a home. Um, this all causes grief. And the way I was able to realize that was I was experiencing this like loss and this, oh, uh, of all these losses that kind of compounded on each other. And then I hit a point where I was like, I've felt this way before. And it brought me back to my teen years when my parents divorced. And it was also a shock to the system um, that they were divorcing. And it was just this, my whole world was changed overnight by one decision. And I experienced so much grief over years and did not recognize that's what it was because again, nobody died. So when I come to this realization in, in 2020, that people around me are grieving, grieving the loss of how their lives were, grieving um, how their children's schooling is going, like everything. It was just grief, but nobody understood that's what it was. They were anxious. They were angry. They were scared. They were sad. They felt empty. And I was over here going like, guys, it's grief. <laughs> like, guys, I'm in it too. And I feel it. And I know like I can help you. And that is the start of my book, The New Face of Grief. I started writing it exactly for this situation of, hey, we're all going through grief. And in fact, mm -hmm. we've gone through it throughout our lives. We just don't know it because the definition to grief is about a death or a major loss and not some of these things that's hidden yeah. grief. That's what became important to me was to start to teach people, hey, you've experienced this before and you actually know how to get through it, whether it's because of a death, whether it's because of um, a change or adapting to something, a health condition, you know, all of these things. 
So my goal is to empower people to see where they come from already and to learn how to not run from those negative emotions and such. So your first question was, how did you come to grief? It came to me and then it showed me a whole different way of looking at it, you know, um, from a whole, I guess, like a 360 perspective of it and then taking a step out back and going, oh, wow, this is bigger than what we're being taught in the world and then wanting to change that. It's profound, actually. I, you know, I can understand it from several different perspectives. Obviously, we've all lost people, and uh, I agree with you. People usually attribute grief to the loss of somebody, at the death of somebody. But um, I was made aware of it at, uh, while I was grieving the loss of my career. I was injured in line of duty, and um, I was told I couldn't be a cop anymore. And it uh, abruptly stopped my life. Um, I was told I would uh, be in a wheelchair, actually, for the rest of my life. I'm not. Um, I'm attached to this, so I can't stand up at the moment. <laughs> but um, it's, it's, a, it's a unique process to really come to understand that our grieving process does, isn't limited to just death. It's limited to job change. It's limited to losing your job, to... And, and you're right, last year, uh, an amazing, unfortunate number of individuals, I'm sure, just exploded with grief because they had no understanding of the sudden loss of so many things. So many things. Um, how, how did you understand, um, like, uh, uh, breaking the mold of grief in, in, in helping to people transform from that? We all know grief as like five steps typically is what we think mm -hmm. of these five different steps. And they don't necessarily have to go right in order, but sometimes people think they do. You go through anger, depression, denial, acceptance, and so forth. Do you, do you have a, a different perspective on that? So in the book, I do address um, the second part of my book, the, the stages of grief, but I'm, I'm very clear in that it's a controversial topic nowadays. Right. People, some people are all for it. Some are not. But Dr. Kubler-Ross came up with these stages um, for people who were finding out they had a terminal illness. And then from there started to realize that the, the family members of those people also were experiencing these particular stages or themes um, throughout the experience of that person's life before they died. And then psychologists and counselors and psychiatrists were like, whoa, hold on, we're seeing grief with other things too. And, and other deaths. And so it is, there is some truth to what she found because there are some themes. I like to call them more themes of how we act, how we feel, but there is, it's very subjective. There's a variety of ways it's experienced. And I address that in the book, like, you know, anger is here to, is an energy that wants to create or destroy. So we always think, you know, anger is like, I just want to like lash out at the world and in reality, sometimes we create some amazing community organizations because of our anger of what has happened, or we go and, you know, make some huge changes in our lives that help us to, you know, find someone new, a new love or create things. So I look at the stages or phases as a tool of, hey, what might be happening to us and, and how do we sort of frame this? But look at it in a bigger context of what is the bargaining stage? Well, bargaining stage is actually our desire to, desire to have control. We want to believe we have control over all of these things in our life. 
And so when we bargain with the whole, well, if I had done this or if I do this, this can change. It's this like last little bit of, it's a bit of the temper tantrum of I want this to happen the way I want it to um, before we're able to sort of accept and release. And for me, grief, the true definition is it's an emotional experience we go through when we realize life is not going the way that we think it should or thought that it would. And once you let go of that and you start to see that positives and negatives happen to all of us, no matter if you're a good person or not a good person, and that's all subjective terms too, then you start to just realize it's all life and it's all here to help us learn and to heal and grow in different ways. So I like to use the phases in the sense of here's a framework. And then the third part of the book, I start to address the other experiences the physical responses we have in grief, um, how humor is used so often in grief in a variety of ways and how it can be healthy, um, how community is important. Though we feel very lonely in our grief, uh, why we feel that loneliness. I address that and what solitude is versus isolation because um, sometimes our brain thinks, well, if I want to pull away from everybody or everyone's pulling away from me, there's something wrong with me versus grief has a bit of a cocoon experience to it, right? We need to pull away and understand what we're going through and what we feel so that we know what we can ask for from others and find those safe people. Um, so it, I think there's a place for the phases and stages. And I know there's some people in the grief world who would disagree with me. Um, but I, I think you don't throw the baby out with bathwater, you know, like there's, there's some purpose to it. There was some value to it and there still is. It's now about shaping it into the world that we live in now and how we as humans are going about our day to day and how grief looks um, in this society. Yeah, I, yeah, I agree with that. I, do you, you brought up something in your, your talk here a few seconds ago. Um, people tend to kind of pull themselves into a cocoon, pull themselves away from everybody else, kind of hide in their own little world. Um, we've all seen it with either relatives. We may have even experienced it ourselves and recognized it later. Do you think it's normal to have somebody just kind of shut the rest of the world off so that they can grieve, like leave me alone? I'm just going to, you know, I'm grieving, I'm depressed, I'm angry. I'm just going to just leave me alone. Do you think that, um, I won't say do you think that's normal, but but I'll ask that. Is it normal? Yes, and I think it's very typical. Um, I think we need that. Because if we're always getting external opinions about what we're feeling or thinking or judgments or opinions, um, it can skew what we need to be really experiencing in that process. So by stepping away and going, um, but with intention, right. not to be spiteful, not to, you know, I'm just going to hide away from everybody, but to really go, I need this time for me. And maybe you communicate that clearly. Hey, everybody, I am going to be pulling away. I'm not responding to your messages. I'm not going to answer your calls. This is how it is. We need to sit with what is it in my feeling? Is it a loss? Is it a frustration? Is it sadness? How can I start to heal this? And like, what is it that I thought life would look like? And where is it now? And what's good about where it is now? Right. And what's bad about it? What do I not like? And allow that time to go inside and go, okay, 
you know, grief is, everybody thinks grief is up here in our minds because we like think about the person or think about the thing and da, da, da. But in reality, grief is in our hearts, in our bodies. We store it. That's why people who think, well, I'm over that. That's like years ago. (laughs) All of a sudden they're like explosive, reactive anger at times when something triggers it. They haven't. So we have to recognize that our, our bodies need that space and it cannot always be because we're talking it out to everybody. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm a therapist. Talk therapy is great, but it can't solve everything and it doesn't always help. Sometimes you do need to have that time where you go inward and go journaling, whatever it might be to that. What is going on with me and what do I need? And is it that I need to kind of just, uh, I love the term cocooning because I think you know, if you really look at the life phase of a caterpillar to a butterfly, we always forget cocooning is like a metamorphosis. Okay, cool. But do you remember that a metamorphosis, go back to science, they turn to mush in the cocoon. Yeah. <laughs> like it becomes, it's no longer a caterpillar, not a butterfly. It is mush. We have to go through that to transform. We have to feel it. We have to be uncomfortable. We have to be angry. We have to start to shift our way of viewing the world and ourselves to become that butterfly. We can't just go pretty in the cocoon, yay, and after a week we pop out and yay. <laughs> no. Um, that's, I, I, and I talk about that in the book, how important it is that this beautiful metaphor we like to use, this analogy of growing and changing and becoming this butterfly means we have to completely deconstruct what we were before and reconstruct us. That's brilliant, actually. Um do you think at at what point do you think somebody that's trying to be helpful uh, should or could intervene? If somebody has concluded themselves or kind of sequestered themselves enough where you know they're not their life is stuck, you know they're not eating, they're not sleeping, they're not getting up, they're not getting out. The house is a mess. They're staying in bed. Uh, at what point do you think maybe somebody needs to kind of intervene? So that's a great question because um, it's the same as in therapy. If somebody doesn't want to be helped, then you can't help. So if somebody keeps coming to my office to work on something, but they don't actually really want to work on it, I'm going to be doing all the work and they're just going to keep coming in. Often I see when people want to help, it's for their own reasons. Well, you know, yes, I'm worried about them, but also it's like, I don't think they should grieve like this. It shouldn't look like they should have already been done. Why aren't they getting up and, you know, showering and things. And then there's those who are truly like, I'm concerned that they feel alone and I just want them to know that they're not. And when you come at it from that framework, then you're not sending them, you know, poems about how wonderful life is and stuff that really is going to make them want to like delete your phone number. You're going to be going, I'm going to bring you over a meal and I'm going to clean your bathroom you can stay in bed. You know, you're not forcing them to change. You're providing some things that help remind them they're not alone. You're saying, Hey, um, I'm going to put a funny movie on with you tonight. You can watch it or not. But I've heard from Katie on this podcast that humor can be a great tool of relieving grief in small amounts so that we don't feel so like drowning. Um, You know, things like that. I mean, it's, it's really about where our heart is and where our mind is. And often we think we're coming at it from a servant mindset, but in reality it comes from the construct of what we think it should look like, what's unhealthy, what's safe, what's not. Now, 
and I address this in the book, if somebody is in an unhealthy mindset, then yes, there is that place where you want to come and try to intervene. But the truth is we also have to respect people's journeys. Right. And none of us wants to hear that, you know, it's okay to allow a person, somebody to go do something to themselves or hurt themselves, but they would do it whether you were there or not. You know, like there's yeah. that piece where you have to respect everybody's journey and their process is going to play itself out. You can plant the seeds to help them to come out of it, but you can't force them. And that's that control piece. We want to save people. We want to make sure they're okay. Sometimes their journey is, as you and I know, is right. hit, hit rock bottom, the darkest moments. And then here we are now. Exactly. Yeah, that's great. Great advice, actually. Um, how do you think, I mean, I know we, you kind of touched on it a little bit ago, but if you don't mind, we can expand upon that. And I know people are probably tired of hearing about COVID and how it's affected everybody, but I know that uh, typically, and this, this happened within our household, as well as uh, the world, basically, uh, everybody's world went from being normal to all of a sudden this chaos just came in. You couldn't go, you know, you, people were working from home. People were losing their jobs. People, I mean, everything changed completely. You know, my wife, it, for us, without sounding selfish, for us, some of the changes were positive because she got to work from home for a year and a half because of the situation. And, and that gave us a new normal, mm-hmm. so to speak, because it allowed us to, to spend time in the morning. There wasn't an hour and 20 minute work, you know, a commute to work for her each way. Didn't have to worry about her being on the road with all the other accidents and, you know, things like that. We got to, we got to go out on the back patio, enjoy life in the morning, you know, Mm -hmm. 30 second commute to the, we set up an office in, in the front room, 30 second commute to the office. The dog loved it. I loved it. You know, we had lunch every day together. It was, it created a new normal. And then when she went back to work, we started getting, we started going through grief again because it was like hey, yep. we lost that. Um, uh, do you think that some of the processes you have in your book that you helped develop uh, that that would help to work through those things too as well? Correct. Definitely, because a big part of it is empowering you that once you've gone through the grief and you figured out what it is that um, you 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 know kind of wanted life to look like. And you guys are are great at being adaptable to life is not what we thought it would look like or should look like. And now here it is. And wow, we see the beauty, you know, like of what it could be now with the switchback. And honestly, I think especially in the U.S., there's going to be some shift in how people work. People don't want to have the hour and 20 minute commute anymore. They've seen that they can be as, as effective at home, that they can have a much more peaceful and less stressful life. So I think some of those shifts are going to start to occur and this will be around the world um, and employers need to start thinking about how to make that fit because you want to keep those great employees. Mm-hmm. Um, the book itself will definitely give you a framework of, okay, so what do we, how do we go from here? What do we right. do with this feeling? Largely when people were sitting at home and those who didn't find the positives in it, or it took a while, they were sitting with, their past, you know, a lot of us kept ourselves busy all the time saying yes to everything so that we didn't have to feel from things that happened five years ago or 10 years ago. 
And all of a sudden we're sitting around and we're seeing our partner in a different way. We're seeing our family members in a different way, or we're alone and we're having to feel what that feels like. And someone who is healed and healthy when they're alone, it doesn't feel like this, something's wrong with me, you know, complete, like I'm on an island. They'll miss people, of course, but there isn't this feeling of like, oh, it's the only way I can describe it. Like, (laughs) but those who went through that, that was grief. There were pieces there of disconnect and um, struggle and not everybody knew to go, let me go reach out to a therapist or a coach and like, let me figure out how to get support. Most of us went online in our professions to be able to try to help people like that, but not everybody understood that's what they were experiencing. And some went down the rabbit hole of addiction in a variety of ways. Um, And as we've seen in the States and Australia and throughout the world, the suicide rates became very high, especially for teens and young adults, because they didn't know how to sit with not having that connection. And I think that's a piece where we lack, um, and, and I'm a mom of three kids, where we lack teaching our children emotional intelligence, how to connect and feel comfortable and safe in their own bodies and with themselves and not always need that instant gratification that social media and things bring. And it is very challenging to create that in a teenager amidst today's society. Yeah, my kids are my kids are adults now, but I I absolutely yeah, absolutely can understand that people are so connected to their phones, so connected to social media, so connected from that perspective that sometimes it's hard to really get them to understand that there are real relationships out there that you need to develop with people. Um, My daughter, youngest daughter, is a, well, she's a social media specialist, a a, a media marketing specialist, actually, and that's what she deals with, is is creating social media for the companies that she's working for. And she comes home and she doesn't want to be on social media. You know, you text her and she says, well, you know, we talk on the phone. Which is yeah. it's like, yeah, thanks. She says, yeah, I do it all day. I don't want to do it anymore. <laughs> uh, now, if anybody's listening to this that knows that my daughter's working for that company, she definitely wants to keep her job. Right. <laughs> she just wants to not do it after she gets home. <laughs> just to clarify. Uh, how do you think people, how do you think we should recognize grief if somebody's going through that? How do we recognize it? Well, I think it's important we recognize how we're going through it in ourselves because we're all about saving and helping other people, but we're not about looking in the mirror like that's uncomfortable. So I think, first of all, as you look at your own timeline, your life timeline, the events that happen, kind of like a movie, become your own consultant in a way. Let me watch this movie play out. And where were the areas that, wow, that still hurts? Whoa, I didn't like that that happened to me. And they don't have to be big events. They can be situations where you were parented in a way you didn't like or, a, um, you know, a sports coach embarrassed you in front of people. <clears throat> Things like that that we just hold on to and then they sort of like build and build and build and build. And then here we are in our work world and somebody says something to us and we're snappy at them. All of that builds upon it. But if you don't look at your life like that movie, then you don't get to stop and go, oh, that happened. Oh, and that And I I take my clients usually on a journey through a guided meditation of like, let's look at your life, you know, lifespan and kind of say, what still hurts? What are the memories that come up? And as soon as you get them out of their heads and into their bodies, like I said, the story is there. 
that experience comes, the tears flow. And the beauty of that is that they're not scared of it because they realize it's just a memory and it's something that they can feel and experience and heal from. And I teach them how to do that versus continue to suffer and ruminate and wake up in the middle of the night going, man, why did I do that? And those kinds of things. So instead of recognizing grief in other people, I think it's important we're working on ourselves and being honest about it. There's such beauty in saying, man, you know what? The other day I was doing some grief work. Wait, what? You were doing grief work? Yeah, I was working on my grief, you know, and yeah, I haven't had somebody die recently, but that's some stuff in my life that I wasn't happy with how it went. And I have a lot of grief about that. Just having those types of discussions spark for other people. Whoa, maybe I need to do that too. Like us talking about grief with your work shift and how your career completely changed. You talk with people about that. This episode will help people go like, oh, wow, I did experience grief in this situation. Or that, you know, the divorce did lead to grief. I was just angry and that's all I thought I was. But now I see I was grieving how life used to be, even if I couldn't stand the person or how I thought it would be when I married them. And now I know, you know, I need to work on that versus try to fix this other person. Because really when we're trying to fix other people, it's because stuff's within us that needs to be fixed, but healed worked on. Um, So focus on yourself and then share your story. You don't have to tell them what it is specifically. You just got to say, you know, I'm working on some things where I thought I would be at this place in my career and I'm not. Um, You know, I thought my kid would have done this and they've decided to go that way. (laughs) And now I'm having to um, let go of those dreams. And you normalize it for people that, oh, wow, you're going through grief too. We don't talk about that. We don't put it on social media. We don't share these things, but happening for all of us. So why not share real life? Well, I think the uh, the art of communication is, is important. And when I say the art of communication, that means just the ability to recognize that talking is a very valuable asset. Listening is even a more valuable asset that you can have within yourself because the art of that communication then garners new beginnings, endings, uh, positivity, can release negativity, and can help you move forward in a very positive way just by talking and just by listening. No, I agree. And I think there's power in when you really listen to someone, and this maybe would give you an answer to your question about how, if we notice someone else is grieving, how do we notice when you start to hear somebody talk about something and you're like, that kind of sounds like grief to say, do you think maybe you're grieving? And they might go, well, well, nobody died and go like, but no, but think about it. Like grief is also Mm -hmm. like, it didn't work out the way I wanted. I have to let go of something. There was a loss. It just wasn't a death. That creates that response of like, well, let me think about that. Yeah, that's interesting. That's very interesting, actually. Um, the all of this that we just talked about uh, that helped you, that motivated you to write this particular book. Oh yes, I'm sorry. That was oh. a, but yes, all of this is uh, all of it. I mean, the book. It was funny. A lot of people are like, you've got kids and you were pregnant when you were writing this book and all that. Like, 
Yeah, because literally I would bring a journal everywhere we went, playground, outside, everywhere, anytime we were driving somewhere and just writing because it all was just coming out of me. There was this like, and this thought and this thought and this thought. And it was like chapter upon chapter. And I'm a big um, into mind mapping. And I, I literally just wrote it all out as this like bubble graph, kind of like mind map. And, you know, the chapters were already there. Oh, that's uh, good. The, the stories were there. Now, it, you, you, you mentioned something there, if you don't mind me touching upon that. Uh, you said journaling. And, and so you, you obviously created a book by journaling. But in, in everyday life, uh, do you recommend that we all journal? And can you help us understand what journaling actually is? Yes. Um, I think journaling is a wonderful tool. I would never tell everybody that they need to do it, but I think it's one of those tools that creates self-reflection, allows you to maybe put out onto word, you know, into words the things that come up for you that you maybe wouldn't say out loud to someone. And also there's something about just free writing, you know, here's here's how I'm feeling today, here's what I'm thinking today that can spark some pretty powerful realizations. Um, for me, journaling as many mornings as I'm able to, depending on what my day looks like, I, I even do it in front of my kids because I want them to see this as a, a healthy habit. For me, journaling is just one of those, like setting the intentions for the day, sharing where I am in this moment, because I love going back and looking like four or five years ago, what I wrote and being like, whoa, that's a profound thought or whoa, like, God, I've come so far. <laughs> so glad I'm not there in my 20s anymore. You know, often we think, oh man, back then it was so much better. And I read those journal entries. I'm like, no, it wasn't. (laughs) There were a lot of things going on back then too. So for a great way to start with journaling is to daily just have like a notebook out in a place where you would normally go with a pen. And maybe you start it with like the date and you say um, maybe something that you're grateful for. What are your plans for that day or your hopes for that day? And kind of like setting intentions. And then if there's anything that's like weighing on you, something that's still like on your mind or, um, you know, I'm really having a hard time with this relationship. I'm really having a hard time understanding this or I really want to change jobs. You know, whatever it might be, like just put it on paper and then you close it up and leave it there. And the next day you write again. And then you might see that you start to write more and you want to share more and you want to explain more to yourself um, or process out more. Uh, And then you just allow that ball ball to roll. Now, there'll be times, you know, there's even weeks where I don't journal. I just don't force it. I allow it to come as as needed because that, that for me is what tools are. It's, you know, it's great that we have habits, but then there's these extra tools that help us and we pull them in as we need them and as we find good support in them but we don't beat ourselves up when we don't use them. And that's typically what happens when we try to start a new habit. It's like, oh man, I'm supposed to do this. And I'm like, let it go. You didn't. Okay. Yeah, it's, yeah I, think, I think we all have a stigma in regard to that in particular that we need, that we need to let go of. And I've had to do it myself in regard to having to let go of, well, that's the normal and I shouldn't have to do that. I should yeah. want to do that. And in and, and trying to create a habit, but you don't necessarily have to create a habit, just create a, create, can, can we call it a, a, a maybe an updated modern day version of a diary? 
Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And you're, and you're creating opportunity by having it in a space that you would easily go to and write. So it's just, you know, Hey, it's there if you wanted. And it is, it's a, it is totally a modern day journaling. Is that exactly that diary, a diary entry. Now, as we know it, you know, growing up diary entry would be like, and this person liked me and this happened and this, this is just really like a, a moment in time where we are, you know, in the next day, a moment in time where we are. But I, I think it's important to incorporate, you know, the practice of gratitude because it's just so impacts, you know, in positive ways, our mental and emotional health, um, really setting our intentions for the day so that at least in one moment we've thought about ourselves and what we want and not just people pleasing or going crazy doing everything mm -hmm. else and then doing our own little check-in. How am I? Am I doing okay right now? <laughs> like, What's going on with me? And then close it up and move on. And that reminds you that the feelings don't have to spill out everywhere. They can be contained in a healthy way. Do you think journaling can help somebody get through grief? Oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. You know, often in grief, there are things we wish we would have said or wanted to say, even when it comes to um, loss that isn't related to death. You know, the things that we're afraid if we said them. Like with my miscarriage, man, there were some things I really wanted to say to people when they thought they were comforting me and I didn't want to hurt them. Journaling was the best way to like just let that out and to say those things and to just, oh, okay, it's out there. You got I've that, written it. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've thought about this podcast. One, one more thing before you go, the whole principle behind it is, you know, it, make sure if you've got something to say, say it. If you've got something you want to do, do it, because you never know what's going to change. And um, it's always nice, and it's much, much more satisfying to make sure that one more thing before you go, say it, do yeah. it. You know, kind of a thing. Uh, and anger, anger is not a good thing. Um, depression, anger, depression, um, everything that, even the stuff that I have gone through, and I, this is from my personal experience, so I'm not professional at this, but I know that anger can, can create more anger and more negativity. Depression can create more depression and compound upon itself. Um, denial can create the issues within themselves. Everything with regard to grief or life in general, you need to kind of manage that to help balance everything for a nice mind, body, soul. So journaling, I think, I agree, is a nice way to be able to uh, put all of your thoughts down. And, and you don't have to share it with anybody. Right. It, it can be yours. You can tuck it away in the drawer. You can put it under the bed, put it under your pillow. Like my sister used to write in her, her diary, Put it in the pillow. Don't touch that. <laughs> you know, kind of a thing. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. That's pretty cool. Had you always wanted to be an author? Or is that oh, something? yeah. Yeah. Since I was a teenager, I always thought my mom, my grandmother, and I read generations um, book about life, the things we experience, or our opinions about things happening in the world. Um, and then when my mom died, one of the first thoughts I had, like, that first month or two was like, well, we're not going to be able to write that book. And I didn't know then that I was going to write the book that I did. Right. Um, I honestly thought I was going to be writing a book that maybe one day will come out of me about helping uh, a couple to really create their home that they want emotionally, mentally, you know, where it's not just falling on one side, um, where they together say, this is what 
what we desire and we're not going to fall into patterns that our family did or things like that. And I had already started writing chapters for it um, just on the side for fun and things. But then this grief book take, took kind of, like I said, it was like, it just flew out. I mean, like fire, it was like, this is actually needed right now. And, and so in a year and a half, I went from writing it to publishing it. Well, I'm going to say that's fantastic that you got the motivation to do that. It's unfortunate that it took a pandemic yeah. to the size that it is to, to, you know, to kind of show, but it's a very, very, very positive thing. I've read part of it. I've not read all of it yet. Forgive me for that. I'm, I'm squeezing in there, but what I've read so far is a brilliant display of a step-by-step -step guide to help you through um, managing your grief in a very good way, in a positive way, and helping you to move forward in life and letting go of certain stigmas uh, that might be in your way. Thank you very much. My intention wasn't for people to think, oh, this is a Pollyanna view of grief. It was, to, I mean, as you know, I'm very real. I share the stories. I'm very right. honest about the experiences. But to say that that doesn't have to define you or right. the experience you have at the end of it all. Exactly. 100%. 100%. Um, what inspires you? Hmm. What inspires me right now is these three kids that I have. <laughs> They're seven, four, and nine months old. And um, my seven-year-old comes with such profound thoughts. The other day, she was we were driving. She's like, Mom, what if we are all God's toys? I mean, I like playing with toys. So, like, like <laughs> he likes playing with us. And I was like, girl, you are on, like, a whole nother, like, level of philosophical processing for an half year old who just like says it as it is. This is what I think. This is what I want. And then I've got this nine month old who's like exploring the world and like, you know, can I get into this? Can I open that? Can I do this? And you're just like, whoa, that's all. It's still in all of us, but then right. we let society's boxes, you know, take it away from us. Um, and so that's what inspires me right now is, is these these kids that are like crazy amazing. That's an amazing. That's amazing inspiration. Our children are our gifts. Uh, sometimes people forget that our children are our gifts, and we have to help nurture that and grow it and love it and keep it moving forward. Sometimes we get frustrated. Sometimes we get extremely happy. Sometimes we're sad. But that's part of life. Yes. Oh, there, there's grief in parenthood too. So I address that in the book. There's absolutely grief. let go of who we thought we would be or our old selves. So, um, yes. Yeah. But they are a, a gift when you look at them with that light. Yeah. 100%. Let's talk about how to connect with you and how to find your book, please. Yes. You can find out about my book, uh, the book website, the new face of grief.com. You can find me uh, at my website, katierussler.com. That's R-O-S-S-L-E-R. -S -S -E and um, I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. I'm on LinkedIn. Um, so looking for katie.russler on Instagram. I do a lot of videos there, a lot of teaching there as well. Uh, on LinkedIn, you'll find my podcast that I've been on, videos that I've done. Um, so just search Katie Russler LPC. Yeah, and I found a lot, some, um, I think I've, Listen to a meditation, a couple of meditations from your site, that site you just mentioned. Uh, and they were 
they were really good, actually. You need to come, everybody needs to come see it. Um, this is one more thing before you go. So before we go, is there anything, any words of wisdom you'd like to share with our listeners and our viewers? So I want to remind people how strong they are. You know, over our lives, we're conditioned to believe that we're not, that we need certain things to make us feel better. We need to eat that thing, drink that thing, buy that thing, and it's going to make us feel better. Watch that thing. And in reality, you are so capable of handling anything that life gives you without the crutches that end up keeping us from really experiencing our own personal growth. And when you start to embody that again and remind yourself like, no, I can handle this. Um, you're going to find that your grief healing is uh, more radical and doesn't take as much of this painful period. Um, you'll see the pain in a different way as well. So that's what I want to leave with you, you guys with is like, you're just amazingly capable. It's just, we've been conditioned to believe we're not sadly that that's what works in marketing, right? You know, you Absolutely. need this. Absolutely. This. Um, we're so capable. We actually don't need those things. Excellent words of wisdom. I really appreciate it. Katie, thank you for being on the show. Thank you for sharing your personal journey as well as your expertise and your profound wisdom. I really appreciate it, especially in helping people move forward uh, in their grief journey, no matter what it happens to be. So thank you very much. Thank you, Michael. I really appreciate that. Thank you for joining us on One More Thing Before You Go. And don't forget to download our free app located in the App Store and on the Google Play. Take One More Thing Before You Go Anywhere You Go. It's a compliment of Superpass, our sponsor. You can find us on any one of your favorite listening platforms as well as on you here on YouTube. I want to thank you for joining us today. I really appreciate what, what you have shared with us, Katie. Um, again, thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of One More Thing Before You Go, a unique conversation about life. If you like our show and want to know more, check out our website at BeforeYouGoPodcast.com. That's BeforeYouGoPodcast.com. Tell your story, share your expertise, contribute to the blog, and subscribe to the newsletter. You can find us as well as subscribe to the program and rate us on your favorite podcast listening platform. And one more thing before you go. Have a nice day, have a nice week, and thanks for listening. One More Thing Before You Go, a unique conversation about life podcast, is a creation of One More Thing Productions, established 2010. All rights reserved.